The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, beautiful people of the internet. Rotoworld's Josh Norris here. Another episode of the Rotoworld Football Podcast. This is your weekly roundup edition. Thanks for sticking with us through week nine. Isn't it crazy? We're already here. Hopefully so many of you are doing well in your fantasy seasons. And if not, still join us each week right here for this very episode. Wild weekend. Upsets. Some teams getting their first win. Some teams getting their first loss. Some soccer clubs winning for 87 minutes against the defending European champions and then letting it slip. Talking to you, Aston Villa, you still have my whole heart. Anyways, we're here to review the entire thing for you. And I'll actually get it started with the Kansas City Chiefs winning at home against the Minnesota Vikings. 26-23, improving their record to 6-3 and three with the Vikings now 6-3 and three as well. I mean, this ends a three-game losing streak at home for the Chiefs. And... In many ways, Matt Moore was a focal point and a focal reason for it. 25 of 35, 275, and a touchdown early in the game. A touchdown throw to Tyreek Hill that was beautifully just at the extended arms, the extended fingertips of Tyreek Hill, who caught it almost diving, and then one single movement placed it over the goal line for that score. Damian Williams had a ludicrous 91-yard touchdown where he made Harrison Smith miss at the second level just out of his fingertips. Anthony Harris, the other safety, who actually has a really, really high PFF grade this season, was just glued, was stuck to the ground in the turf, and Damian Williams then had a clear field ahead of him, again, for a 91-yard score. Ended with 125 yards in this game. LaShawn McCoy, just nine in on the ground. Tyreek Hill, six receptions, 140 yards, and a touchdown. Sammy Watkins got involved, too. T- Ten targets, seven receptions, 63 yards, and Travis Kelsey was just behind with seven catches for 62 yards. On the Minnesota side of this, it was an interesting day. Again, we expected Adam Thielen to have a real part in this game because he was active. That did not really happen at all. We saw him on the sideline quite a bit. Just one target, no catches. Stephon Diggs, even though he was healthy, didn't do much better. Four targets, one catch, four yards. In fact, it was a lot of Laquan Treadwell early. Yes, that name that you remember from a few years ago in the first round. Five targets, three receptions, 58 yards. Converted a lot of third downs early in this one. Uh, Kirk Cousins, 19 of 38, 220 and three touchdowns. Their three touchdowns did go to Kyle Rudolph, Amir Abdullah, and BC Johnson. All the names, you know, that you expected to see in the end zone for the Vikings. And Dalvin Cook did have 71 yards on the ground. Um, a major part of this, a major part of this, was Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs. He did make a 54-yarder with two minutes and 30 seconds left to tie the game. Then the Vikings gave the ball away quickly on a punt that was absolutely shanked with Matt Moore leading the team back down into scoring position and a 44-yarder for Harrison Butker as time expired. Look, Patrick Mahomes was kind of up in the air if he was going to play this week. We kind of expect that to happen this upcoming weekend against the Tennessee Titans, but who knows? Matt Moore is certainly not embarrassing himself at all as a starting quarterback. He's making some really fun plays back there. All right, that was just the start. Let's get the rest going. 
In a game that does not resemble perfect football in any way, the Pittsburgh Steelers at home beat the Indianapolis Colts 26-24. to Ian Harditz had that contest for us. Ian, I was just watching it from afar. I was observing you freaking out multiple times because this was not good football. Um, let's start with the Steelers. I didn't even know the Steelers won this game, to be perfectly honest with you, but they were the one who had a healthy quarterback the entire time. Um, we expected Jalen Samuels to have a good day. And he didn't do that rushing the football only 10 yards, but he did have 13 catches on 13 targets for 73 yards. How did the Steelers come out on top? Yeah, Steelers just barely won most because Adam Vinatieri had one of the worst shanks you'll ever see on potential game-winning field goal. Before everyone says, yeah, the laces weren't turned correctly, you're a kicker. Just make the freaking kick. But, okay, <laughs> back, back to the actual backfield. So, Jalen Samuels, yes, 13 receptions, you know, 40 snaps, dominated workload. But it wasn't really what we're used to seeing in terms of, you know, whoever the Steelers RB1 is typically plays like an 80% plus snap rate and just gets all the work. And Samuels, on the ground at least, wasn't their featured off uh, option. He had eight carries, and Trey Edmonds actually had 12 carries, only 17 snaps, zero targets. So, like, clearly when Edmonds was on the field, you knew where it was going to, and it was just going to be an inside run. But to Edmonds' credit, you know, he did show off some underrated elusiveness in the hole. You know, was able to consistently get positive yards. Most of his yards came on a 45-yard run where he was mostly untouched. But I was uh, pleasantly surprised at what he was able to do the rest of the game. I didn't think Samuels, like, was overly impressive as a receiver. It was mostly just a lot of dump-offs and a couple screens here or there. But, hey, man, 13 catches is 13 catches. And yeah. we'll take that all day as far as PPR is concerned. Yeah, and I believe, didn't Adam Schefter before this game say that James Conner might miss the next game as well? Um, so if we can dive into how Jalen Samuels was used, I think that would be beneficial for everyone out there. It was a lot of like Le'Veon Bell style receptions where, you know, it's a quarterback holding the football and then when nothing's open, he just dumps it off. Like what, what was the usage here in the receiving game if it can be translated week to week? So it was like Le'Veon, yeah, I think it's a good comparison, but the difference is like... Rothsberg was actually looking downfield for those instances. And I think Rudolph, after the first drive of the game, was more or less inclined to just check it to Samuels as long as he looked open, you know, at the start of the play. So uh, to Mason Rudolph's credit, like he didn't come out necessarily playing bad. He threw this gorgeous deep ball on the second or third play of the game that pretty much hit Juju right in the hands. But I think it was Kenny Moore on the coverage was just right there, stride for stride, knocked it out. And then two plays later, he hits Juju in the hands, that would have picked up a uh, third and long, but went right off his hands and went right into a Colts defender's lap. So uh, I think he kind of got gun shy after that for the most part. He did hook up with James Washington for a nice 40-yard catch later. But again, man, like after that first drive, it was just drop back to pass, maybe look at your first read, and if it's not there, dump it down to Samuels. I do think it's somewhat sustainable because, again, we saw this even in week four, I think it was the last time when James Conner was healthy and, and, and Samuels was healthy. You know, they fed him eight targets, a lot of pop passes, a lot of things like that. They want to get the ball at Samuels, and even if today was more dumb boss than usual, I still think he's got a very, very high pass game flow on a weekly basis. Mason Rudolph was 26 of 35, 191, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, we mentioned that Samuels was the leading receiver again with 73. James Washington actually had his best game as a pro. Uh, four targets, four receptions, 69 yards with a long of 40. Juju did nothing. You mentioned maybe that drop, but five targets, three receptions, 16 yards. Deontay Johnson did nothing. Two targets, one reception, and three yards. Anything you want to talk about in that wide receiver group? Yeah, you know, we talked about a little bit on our Sunday show this morning where Juju actually has provided some decent uh, wide receiver two value more weeks than not with Rudolph under center. But unfortunately, like these are going to be the types of duds that we're going to have to live with in this offense. I don't think he's going to finish you know, eight targets behind Jalen Samuels uh, most weeks. But with that said, I mean, they're certainly not making an effort to force feed him the ball. And if Juju's not going to get his on a weekly basis, Deontay Johnson and James Washington sure aren't behind him. Uh, I do think, uh, I don't want to call Washington's, like, all right, between Washington and Deontay Johnson, like, one of them could maybe have a good game on a weekly basis. But this could be tough for both of them, too. Credit to Washington, though. I mean, his his first catch was, like, in tight coverage. He kind of bobbled it, but came down with it. Next catch was a really dope one-handed catch uh, where the slant pass is thrown behind him. And then, like I mentioned earlier, he had a deep uh, downfield contested catch for about 40 yards. So, probably the best game I've seen James Washington play in the regular season to this point. Unfortunately, I just don't think with Rudolph at the helm, like they're going to enable anything close to two consistently fancy relevant wide receivers. 
All right, let's talk about fumbles. Let's talk about injuries because that's a lot of what happened on the Colts side. Uh, Jalen Samuels and Mason Rudolph both had a fumble. They didn't lose both, but you know what I mean. Uh, and on the Colts side, Paris Campbell had two fumbles. Brian Hoyer had a fumble, and Chester Rogers had a fumble. Yes, Brian Hoyer came into this game because, what was it, at the end of the second quarter or was it in the third quarter, someone landed on um, Jacoby Brissett's, I believe, like left ankle, left foot, and he missed the remainder of the game and Brian Hoyer came in and completed 17 of 26, 161, three touchdowns and an interception. Um, I think his first throw was a touchdown to Jack Doyle. Uh, look, the Steelers, I think their defense is super solid and it's been getting better. It seems like as the season goes along, they're four and four, but the Colts entered this game at five and two, only lost by two points, but now they're five and three with, you know, another question at quarterback because while Brian Hoyer might be a backup quarterback, I don't think he's as good as Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, we actually the injury happened right at the beginning of the second quarter, so we got a good three quarters of uh, action from Brian Hoyer. And yeah, first pass uh, went for a touchdown. He had Zach Pascal on a nice pass on a post where he put the ball up high enough where like really only Pascal could go up and get it. And then found Chester Rogers later. Like there were good moments for sure from Brian Hoyer that we've seen him have periodically throughout you know his time on whatever like eight teams he's been on uh, over the years. But at the same time, also took four sacks. You know, we we didn't see much of that off script. Uh, creation ability that Jacoby Brissett, you know, has flashed uh, this season. So, yeah, if they can give him a clean pocket and, you know, his first or second reads open, I think Hoyer can be okay, like, week 10 against the Dolphins. That can certainly happen. But in the long term, no, I, I don't think the Colts can kind of handle uh, life in the NFL with your what's going to be their essentially third-string quarterback, you know, counting Andrew Luck. So it wasn't awful, for, awful from uh, Brian Hoyer, but definitely not really a bunch of optimism uh, moving forward. The one guy that was uh, really fun to watch was Paris Campbell. And, yes, he, he fumbled on a kick return, and then he had a run that looked like it was going to go for a touchdown, but it kind of got caught by the turf monster and didn't just kind of fumble the ball himself uh, out at the one-yard line. So it uh, wasn't all great, but they kept going back to him after that. I mean, he had five catches for uh, 53 yards, and they also gave him three rush attempts for 27 yards. So, um, again, kind of like we talked about in the Sunday show this morning where we thought that without T.Y. Houghton in the full, Paris Campbell, their second-round electric rookie, could be the guy they try to get going, and that's what we saw today. And obviously no T.Y. Hilton and the Colts offense lacks explosions. Zach Pascal had a big day, big day with Zach Pascal had a big day with six targets, five receptions, 76 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Chester Rogers and Jack Doyle were the other one. So, yeah, again, the Colts sit at five and three. We talked about that on a podcast last week, but I really do wonder if Paris Campbell gets more and more involved uh, as the season goes along. Ian, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. The Buffalo Bills improved to six and two winning 24-9 to of the Washington Redskins in Dwayne Haskins' debut. We'll get to Haskins in a little bit. Hayden Wings had this game for us. Hayden, I mean, it certainly seems like the Buffalo Bills offense didn't have to do that much. Josh Allen, 14-20, 160 yards, one touchdown. He added another 12 yards on the ground in a score. Devin Singletary blasted off as a rookie, uh, 95 yards and a touchdown on the ground as well. Anything exciting about this Bills offense? Um, I mean, Devin Singletary was definitely the storyline. Basically, the Bills got in there and got out. They knew they were going to wrap this thing up early. Um, but we saw kind of a passing of the torch. Frank Gore only had 11 carries today and 15 yards. And Devin Singletary came in 20 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown. He was forcing a lot of missed tackles, as usual. Um, and he also had a big gain on a screenplay. So I think moving forward, we can start projecting Singletary to – um, be at least the 1A in this committee, and who knows, maybe we'll get a bell cow roll out of them later. Cole Beasley, two targets, two catches, 13 yards. Is that his third straight game for the touchdown? I believe it is. Yeah, it, he's going crazy. <laughs> yeah, just for touchdowns. Uh, John for Brown, touchdowns. John Brown, I think his floor is super steady, man. Seven targets, four receptions, 76 yards. How did Josh Allen look? Were there any you know typical Josh Allen plays in this one when he makes plays more difficult than they have to be, and then when plays do get difficult, he turns them into magic at times? So Josh Allen had a one play where he scrambled around, uh, broke a tackle, and then flicked one downfield, but there was really no reason for the Bills to, to force things downfield or anything like that because the Redskins were not going to be putting up very many points. All right, let's... Chicken on the Washington side of this. Uh, Dwayne Haskins made his first start. He was 15 of 22, but for a measly 144 yards, did take four sacks. What, what did you think of, of him in his first extended action? Because, you know, this Bills defense has certainly had moments this year. The game plan was super conservative. Adrian Peterson came out red hot. Uh, he had like a, over 100 yards in the first half, and then he kind of ran into 
brick walls in the second half. It was, it was pretty clear the Redskins didn't want to put the ball into Haskins' hands, probably for good reasons, playing in Buffalo against uh, a top passing defense. But Haskins, his, his arm strength is there. His accuracy is there. He didn't really look like a, a rookie uh, per se, but I mean, there's just so little options um, to throw the ball to. Terry McLaurin had Tredavious White on him today. So um, pretty basic performance out of him. Not really much you can learn from. There's not much happening here for Terry McLaurin lately, who was at times the only bright spot for the Washington Redskins. I mean, ever since having a four 102 line against the Miami Dolphins on October 13th, he's had one catch for 11 yards, four catches for 39 yards, and four catches for 39 yards again. Uh, so that's a little concerning. AP, I mean, there was a point where I think he had like four straight carries that resulted in 50 yards or something like that. Was that just wide open gaps that Buffalo's defense just melted down or did he actually look competent in this game? A little bit of both. He, there was definitely some holes that were opened up for him where he was picking up easy yards. But at one point he stiff armed uh, Levi Wallace into the ground that he, I mean, there was definitely some yards after contact here. Um, he's looked better today than he had previously. Um, and I, I think the Redskins are just going to run the ball with him kind of regardless of what the score is. I don't think Buffalo's like that great. They are six and two, but their next opponents are away at the Browns, away at the Dolphins, and then the Broncos at home. So there's a real path for them to be nine and two uh, in a couple of weeks. All right, let's go to the other game you had, Hayden. That is the Detroit Lions losing on the road to Oakland, uh, thirty-one to twenty-four. This was a wild contest. I mean, we know that uh, the Lions entered this game with leading the league in plays per game combined with their opponents and themselves. Um, look, I made fun of John Gruden heading into the year. I made fun of Derek Carr heading into this season. But there's some magic happening. There's some genius happening here, and it resulted in the Raiders putting up 31 points today for a W. Yeah, I think we need to separate John Gruden, the GM, from John Gruden, the play caller. Right now, the offense is fun. I, I mean, I personally wouldn't give – Josh Jacobs, 28 carries, but he looked good as always kind of leading the way with um, in the offensive rookie of the year thing with Kyle, Kyle Murray. But Derek Carr has been effective just moving the ball around. And today was more of a spread out, spread him out attack. Darren Waller only had a couple targets. Same with Tyrell Williams. Um, they got rookie Hunter Hen or Hunter Renfro involved and they just kind of moved the ball. There was really no stop and play. There's just both teams moving the ball pretty effectively. Yeah, you mentioned Josh Jacobs having 28 carries. Jalen Richard had two carries. DeAndre Washington had three carries. He absolutely owned this backfield, and he's looked awesome. 120 yards and, and two touchdowns with a long run of 17 yards. Um, Do you know what I think makes it obvious that John Gruden and Derek Carr clicking is that any of these intermediate throws, any of these downfield throws that Derek Carr is making, he's making them immediately once he hits his back foot. So you yep. just know like he's in phase with the design that um, John Gruden has created and that he knows who to throw the football to. And often they are completed. I mean, it's, it's, and he's, I mean, he threw what he had 20 completed passes today for 289 yards and two touchdowns, but no one went over 56 yards. I mean, he's spreading the football around and there's like some creativity here. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fun offense to watch right now. Yeah, and, and we even saw a, a cool special teams play that I think is going to be talked about in your upcoming article on a fourth down where they kind of ran this little counter re reversed to a backup tight end that like went for like 25 yards. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the Raiders are they're not the best team. They're definitely not the worst team, though. So um, we'll see what Derek Carr can do. I mean, he's kind of battling for his job in 2020. Um, but right now he's kind of playing to it where the Raiders at least have to consider going into him with another year as a starter. Yeah, they are 500. I will say their defense is still very bad. And I did love yes. the special teams play because it was like a short snap to the up man and the up man handed it off on an inside counter, which was awesome. It was freaking awesome. All right, let's go to the line side because this is another offense that, you know, went from boring for the last couple of years, like trying to neuter Matthew Stafford a little bit to now being super explosive. And super fun. Matthew Stafford was 26 of 41 for 406 yards, three touchdowns and an interception. Kenny Galladay had a monster day, seven, four, 132 and a touchdown. Marvin Jones had a monster day, 10 targets, eight receptions, 126 and one score. 
Um, wax poetic about this Lions offense a little bit, especially the passing game. Yeah, the difference this year is Stafford's throwing the ball deeper, and I think that's that wasn't really his fault these last couple of years. The the weapons were kind of average. We were seeing glimpses of Kenny Galladay breaking out. Uh, but now we have Marvin Jones playing well and Galladay's playing well. Um, Hawkinson's kind of popped randomly here and there. But, I mean, he's slinging the ball right now. He's he's on pace for almost 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. Those are, like, career-best numbers, um, basically going back to, like, his Calvin Johnson days. So I don't think this offense is going to stop passing the ball right now. With Kerryon Johnson on injured reserve, they're pretty much just abandoning the run game. Uh, Ty Johnson's found himself in a really bad committee. Um, so I think we're just going to keep seeing Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones going crazy. They're both on pace for double-digit double touchdowns. Um, and kind of a team that you want to be stacking in DFS. Let's close on that backfield because some people, you know, might want to search for one player who might see the lion's share of the work. doesn't seem like that's going to be anyone as you alluded to. Ty Johnson had the most carries with nine. It resulted in just 29 yards. Jaden McKissick did have four carries for 32 yards, and he also had 40 receiving yards and a touchdown there. I mean, it just seems like as we move along, this Lions team that whenever they run the football, it's like, minus ev and it definitely was yes. today against the raiders i mean there's really no reason to run the ball with these guys these are just a bunch of average replaceable players i mean the, the Lions still can definitely pick up some veteran back off, off free agency so um ty johnson is the de facto lead back right now but i mean even starting in the flex moving forward would be uh something that you'd want to be avoiding and I do want to add that this was a super, super close game. In fact, yes. like within the final play of the game, basically, it was fourth and goal from, I believe, the one-yard line. The clock was running. Um, Matthew Stafford got to the line of scrimmage. John Gruden called the timeout, or someone did on the Raiders. That gave the Lions a free play. They put everyone near the line of scrimmage in a goal line situation, did a play action off of it, and threw the ball to Logan Thomas in the back of the end zone. It's kind of astonishing that when you have Kenny Galladay, 132 yards, Marvin Jones, 126 yards, T.J. Hawkinson with 56 yards, that instead of asking them to help you in that moment, instead you load the formation and try to um, get something to your third tight end in that situation. With with the Gruden timeout, I'm not sure if he if he was actually him that called it. It looked like the Lions were going to get up because it was like a third and eleven or something like that the previous play, and we're going to run up and the Raiders didn't really have the defensive personnel to stop a, a fourth and goal line play. Um, but with the Lions, I mean, going into I formation, bringing everybody into the box, taking all of your guys that can separate off the field was was pretty dumb, and it, it didn't even really feel like the rate or the Lions were going to run the ball. I mean, the, right. the run, rushing attack was so weak. It was clearly going to end up in Stafford's hands. And, I mean, throwing it to who knows, backup tight end, yeah. uh, definitely not the move. Yeah, it, it seemed like in that call, it's a great point that you made that they're not going to run the football because they only had 90 rushing yards as a team. And a lot of that was just meaningless. That why make Matthew Stafford work out of a bunched formation? Why make him turn his back to the defense off that play action fake? Why not at the very least spread them out with multiple wide receivers? And if everything else fails, at least the defense is a little more spread out and you can take off and run in that situation. Uh, just didn't make a lot of sense. But it's easy for us to say, obviously, looking back. I think it. we're right, though. I think, I think we're right. <laughs> I think we're right. It happens. It happens. Uh, all right, Hayden. Thanks so much, man. On the heels of a demolishing defeat, the Carolina Panthers improved to five and... Three now beating the Tennessee Titans 30 to 20 in Charlotte. Patrick Darty had that game for us. Patrick, <laughs> I guess the talk we should focus on at first is Kyle Allen because the San Francisco 49ers just completely destroyed him um, last week. And now Kyle Allen, despite what the numbers might say, 17 of 32, 232 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. I actually think had one of his best performances of the season. It wasn't the worst performance we've seen from Kyle Allen, as you alluded to. Uh, it was going to be hard for him to be worse than he was in week eight. Uh, certainly his best box score in several weeks, but one takeaway, he was lucky to have only one uh, turnover. Uh, after his first interception, moments later, I uh, threw a ball kind of directly to Malcolm Butler, and then he just dropped it. And still was not challenging down the field. He's kind of keeping... You know, he hasn't had a single ceiling game with Curtis Samuel yet. Samuel yet. Still a very just kind of limited ceiling passer for his own purposes and limiting the ceiling of his receivers. Uh, thankfully, we saw DJ Moore 
kind of getting the yak game going, the high volume game going today. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's certainly, uh, you know, at the very least for a player like him, you know, a second year pro uh, you know, who should not probably be a starter in the NFL to bounce back at all after that horrific game against the 49ers was a very good sign. But uh, certainly didn't see anything today that like makes me jazzed about Kyle Allen going forward, but uh, de- a definite bounce back game. Look, I also think that the running game is more important to this offense. I also think North Turner is more important to this offense. But there were moments, like there was one drive where he had to step up in the face of pressure on the outside, which he hadn't done against the Houston Texans. He hadn't done earlier in this year. Hit a pass to Greg Olson breaking outside. Threw a nice ball to DJ Moore along the left sideline. Like he made some throws in this game that were in between safeties and corners. You're like, okay. That's more than, you know, just being there and just hanging the football off and just throwing it to wide open receivers. So I think that's a nice little progress. I do want to ask you about Christian McCaffrey, though, Pat. Uh, He had 24 carries. He did have 146 yards, two touchdowns, 58-yard run where he was untouched. I mean, he's (laughs) on pace now to be have the highest scoring season ever in fantasy football. Um, it just keeps getting better and better for CMC. Many thoughts. The first, uh, really quickly adding on to Kyle Allen, on his touchdown to Curtis Samuel, he hung in the pocket and took a big hit. So that that was also a nice, encouraging throw. I mean, Christian McCaffrey cleared 150 yards from scrimmage in six of eight games. I believe they said during the broadcast that he was the first player to ever do that. I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate, but he's on pace. He's off Chris Johnson's yards from scrimmage record by 21 halfway through the season. I mean, just a complete freak. Three more touchdowns today. Uh, there was a, the 58-yard touchdown you alluded to. He was uh, not touched at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack, and he did get dragged down by Dory Jackson into the end zone and actually got a concussion evaluation out of it. Thankfully, he dodged a bullet there. He's good to go and has a, a eruption spot in Week 10 against the Packers, who – could not get the Chargers off the field Sunday. Been hemorrhaging running game production all season. So, yeah, a guy who went bonkers against the 49ers last week, the best defense in the NFC, now is one of the best possible matchups he could have for Week 10. And, yeah, is doing things we really have barely seen at the running back position, position since the mid-2000s, kind of the Ladanian Tomlinson, Priest Holmes, Sean Alexander, heyday. Like, these kind of Johnson. seasons. Yeah, these kind of seasons like seemed like they didn't really exist anymore in fantasy. And now he's doing it for the second straight year. Uh, just a total freak. DJ Moore did have 10 targets, seven receptions, 101 yards. Curtis Samuel got in the end zone along with 64 yards. There was this moment, though, Pat, where, like, the Panthers are only up by one or two scores. You know, if there, ever, if, if there is such a thing as momentum, it might have been going a little more towards the Tennessee Titans than it was because the Panthers were up super early. We're in their own end of the field. Ron Rivera elects to go for it in terms of a fake punt. And Colin Jones, the special teams captain, gets touched like two yards prior to the sticks and then carries defenders for an <laughs> extra couple yards and gets it. I mean, that that was a big play looking back on this game. It was. And I, was that fake punt a process or results fake punt? Because the initial process, yeah, resulted in him getting stopped uh, at least a couple yards short of the sticks and then him bullying through it all of a sudden provided a very good result, but I could not decide uh, what I thought of that play at the time, but it was definitely uh, one of the hinge points of the game. And you, you talk about momentum. Uh, tell you what allowed the Panthers to get some momentum was uh, giving Derrick Henry uh, two touches in the first half. That was awful. Uh, for the dude. Titans, not real sure what that was about. And when you alluded to the, uh, the Titans kind of making it a game, it was after halftime when they uh, committed to Derrick Henry, which would have made a lot of sense against the Panthers' defense, who are more vulnerable on the ground than through the air. Of, of all the teams not to hashtag establish it, uh, I was very, very baffled at the Titans' game plan Sunday. Yeah, the first half made no sense. Um, at it all. Was... They, they, Deion Lewis, I think, touched the ball five times in the first half. It was the first time like all year he had he had done that and lost the fumble of course a yeah. back-breaking fumble and then uh, it was completely aided, nonsensical it was aided by an awful drop by aj brown that went right into the defender's hands but <laughs> yes. then in the second half pat like i mean at the end of the day derrick henry resulted in 13 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown and it was one of those where if they weren't just trailing the entire game if it wasn't negative game script derrick henry could have had a really big day because he also added 
um, another 36 yards and touchdown in the air. Uh, they just did not want to feed him early on, which doesn't make a lot of sense was, when you're I mean, a quarterback you as Ryan Tannehill. Like, like a behind-the-scenes suspension or something? It just, I mean, I didn't read or see anything like that. It was just so nonsensical. You, you almost assume there had to be more to the story there, but I don't think there was. I just Derrick Henry, why can't – why – not like he has the world's softest hands, but like, look when his touchdown was a 23 yard screen. When you get this guy the ball in the screen game, I mean, he could be one of the most lethal players in the NFL. Yeah. I, that's another thing I don't understand: why Derrick Henry is not at least slightly more involved in the passing game. He just doesn't look aesthetically pleasing at like running. No, back, I think you know? it is all aesthetics. <laughs> Even when he's picking up seven yard carries, it's I'm going to get hit three yards past the line of scrimmage then just like fall forward for an extra four yards. And it's not these like pretty <laughs> runs, but he's just carrying people. And yeah, when works. you're seven foot two and you fall forward, the results in a lot of extra yardage. It, he's just so, I feel his acceleration for his size. He's just a different kind of athlete. Yeah. It's all the hidden yards. All right. The other game you had Pat, uh, maybe the surprise of the weekend. Los Angeles chargers, I guess for the home team here, uh, <laughs> one, over the Green Bay Packers, 26 to 11. And Pat, like this was, uh, for long stretches, the Packers had zero points. I, I don't understand this at all. I didn't watch very much of this game because Red Zone wasn't showing anything of the Packers. Aaron Rodgers finished 23 of 35, 161, and one touchdown. We've all just been saying how great he and Matt LaFleur have been for each other. And then it resulted in this, Pat. Yeah, what, Devontae Adams Ewing theory, question mark? Uh, that might be too deep of a reference for a lot of the podcast listeners, but you can Google uh, the Ewing theory. Uh, the story of this game, I mean, was Joey Bosa taking up residence in the Packers' backfield, and then the Packers' run defense not being able to get the Chargers off the field. Uh, the Chargers won the time of possession battle 36-24, to and Aaron Rodgers did not play well. He missed a deep ball to Jake Kumaro. He missed a deep ball to Alan Lazard. Uh, didn't really get any high-quality targets to Devontae Adams. Um, but this, the, they couldn't get the Chargers off the field. And the Chargers just bled the clock to death. They bled the Packers to death. Uh, you know, when the Packers did finally get the ball back, especially in the first half, I mean, Joey Bosa was basically almost single-handedly wrecking the game. So it was really just kind of a, a burn-the-tape day for the Packers where I, I didn't see any long-term concerns the Packers coming off what – might have been Aaron Rodgers' two best games of the year. It's just kind of a perfect storm game for the Chargers. And, yeah, the, uh, the, the, the Packers are going to want to burn the tape. Yeah, so while the Packers' offensive line for a long stretch of the season might have had one of the best lines in the NFL, the interior was demolished. I mean, Aaron Jones, people were talking about him being used like Todd Gurley. He had eight carries for 30 yards. Uh, he had one reception for negative one yards. You mentioned how much Devontae Adams was receiving attention. He had 11 targets in this game. No one else. I mean, the closest was Jamal Williams with six, six. targets. And he also yes. and Jamal Williams had the touchdown. It's just like all around didn't make a lot of sense in this performance. What about the Chargers, Pat? Because, I mean, heading into this one, in my mind, I was thinking, I mean, look, could this story of Philip Rivers not being a Charger in 2020 build, build, build? And I'm not going to put that story to bed because they are just four and five. But they win here, and he goes 21 of 28 for 294. Yeah, still, it was the story. It was the running game finally you know, looked the way it looked last year when the Chargers were running hot, which was most of the year. And looked the way you know they clearly have been wanting it to look since Melvin Gordon came back. They combined for 39 touchdowns. Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler. Uh, Mel finally showed a little juice in the open field. Uh, at one point, he uh, literally jumped over a dude. He did get like really clobbered then uh, in the air. So not really sure it was worth it, but it was very cool. Uh, cashed in a pair of goal line carries. One of them after Austin Eckler failed on a goal line carry and they just finally got the yin and the yang going in their backfield again austin eckler very involved as a pass catcher i mean hunter henry uh just another huge day he's averaging 82 yards in four games since he came back and you know the, char the chargers executed uh their game plan to perfection today where they never let the packers get into rhythm and then they d dominated uh, with their running game and uh they're gonna need more of that going forward because off. Well, and was their offensive line a bigger concern for the running game or passing game? I don't even know what Both. I would say. Both. Yeah, but it's getting better with Russell Okung uh, back. But uh, yeah, today the Chargers executed their game plan. It's like the most cliched 
NFL way you could put it. I believe I read that this was Mike Williams' first game of his career over 100 yards. He had three catches for 111 yards, including like a catch and run for 56 yards. Yes, it was his first game not only as 100, but his first game over 90. And he'd only had three 80-yard games ever. And yeah, he did all this in only four targets, so it wasn't exactly like predictive going forward. He had he had a 46-yard catch where he had no yak, basically. And then, yeah, he had a 56-yarder where he got the sideline and did a ton of yak damage. So, yeah, it was a nice nice day to see. But again, he, he only did it on four targets. And uh, he does have a really, really soft Week 10 matchup. So, Phillip Rivers only has 12 touchdowns in nine games. That's very bad for fantasy. But looking ahead to Week 10, there are six teams on by. Uh, the Chargers are playing uh, the Raiders' overmatched pass defense on a short week. Philip Philip Rivers is going to be squarely in the quarterback streaming conversation. Uh, looking ahead to Week Ten in London. Oh, that's awful, Josh. Can't believe I tried that. Houston Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars twenty-six to three. Anthony Costa had this game for us. Anthony, first, thanks for not laughing at my impression. I'm off with them. Second, this is a blowout. Um, I thought. The Jaguars a little frisky team. I thought that they had some potential to upset some teams in the AFC, but now they dropped to what? Four and five on the season, and it certainly seemed like they couldn't slow down Deshaun Watson at all, even though Laramie Tunsil missed this game at left tackle. Yeah, really just Jacksonville not showing up this week. Gardner Minshew, this was easily his worst game at a really bad time with Nick Foles returning. It looked like he was high on everything. Both of his interceptions were overthrows, uh, four fourth-quarter turnovers for Minshew, three consecutive drives with the turnover. I think he had a chance to lock down the starting job with the good game, and he completely tanked. Maybe that got to him. But yeah, Jacksonville looks like a second-half fade, and the Texans, I think they're set up nicely down the stretch, even with Watt out. The bye week comes at a really good time for them with the offensive line injuries. Kenny Stills left with an injury this week. Will Fuller, maybe he comes back after the bye. Looks like he might not be ready, but still, Texans have a lot of injuries. And to be leading, leading the division, going into the bye, that's obviously where they want to be. Um, we'll get to the Texans in a second. I do want to focus on this Gardner Minshew moment here because it's kind of wild to me, Anthony, how much talk we continue to hear that, well, they're still evaluating this position. And like, oh, Gardner Minshew's playing for his job. Like national media people, respected national media people are saying that. So to me, that reads as it's actually the truth. I don't know how that can be the case. And I know that this isn't the easiest thing to say after Gardner Minshew completes like half his passes and throws two interceptions. But he's had two poor performances, if you include this one, and then the other one against the New Orleans Saints. Other than that, like he's showing a lot of things, comforting chaos, leading this team to victory multiple times, where I don't know if we can say for sure Nick Foles can do that. And we have plenty of Nick Foles tape and evaluation out there from years and years and years of play. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you on Minshew. But I think there's some other factors here. Um, If you look at it like he was playing for the starting job this week, it's an epic fail. A lot of overthrows, um, the turnovers. Just a lot of stuff we hadn't seen from him, but we knew were there. The, the rookie mistakes, the Saints game that that you mentioned that kind of exposed him. I don't think the Jaguars' decision is going to be based off one game, but he made it easy for them to go to Foles. It would be a lot harder if he lit up Houston. Then I think it's an easy decision to stick with him. But but some of the other factors, that you look at the guarantees in Foles' contracts. It's like $50 million guaranteed. Definitely wouldn't surprise me if they go back to Foles after the bye. Hmm. But I do think Minshew is the right direction for the organization. Yeah. I just wonder if like this is, and I could be totally wrong here and I constantly am, but I wonder if this is the highest valuation Nick Foles will have in his current deal, because if he comes in, then you hope that he wins and you hope that he's the quarterback for the next, what, two or three years. But if not, then you can trade him after this offseason. If he plays poorly these next couple of games, then obviously that valuation goes down. All right, uh, like I mentioned, Minshew just 309 yards. Leonard Fournette actually had 11 carries for 40 yards, uh, five receptions. So just those 16 receptions ends his streak of, what, 24-plus touches. Keelan Cole was a leading receiver. DJ Chark was like the fifth leading receiver as a six. So that's pretty far down the list. All right, on the Texan side, uh, Deshaun Watson, 22 of 28. Just 201 yards, 
and two touchdowns. He was only sacked one time, which was surprising to me uh, looking at the box score because, again, Titus Howard just came back into the lineup. They were without Larry McTunzel. We know Jacksonville's at least defensive front is talented, but was it once again magic from Watson here to evade a lot of pressure and disruption? Yeah, and the stats don't really show how good Watson played. Didn't have his starting left tackle this week. Tunsil didn't play. Chris Clark was active but left on the third series, only ended up playing half the snaps. So didn't have his starting tackles, only one sack, but was hit seven times. The off-script plays have been there for Watson. Probably his most impressive throw was a lateral. It was just a, a vintage Watson play. Escaped a sack, dumped it to Hyde for the first down, and it set up their first touchdown. Watson didn't really need to do much this week, and he still ended up having a, a really good day. Uh, there's been some MVP talk for Watson, and he definitely didn't hurt his case this week. Let's talk about Carlos Hyde. 19 carries, 160 yards, including a 58-yard run. Uh, I mean, this is like a different Carlos Hyde we're seeing this year. Was it impressive? I mean, obviously 160 yards is, but is it as impressive as it reads? Well, yeah, it's a revenge game for Hyde, um, and he killed it. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot he <laughs> Like, he kind of played for the Jaguars. The mid-season right? trade. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, two 50-ish yard runs. Um, fumbled out of the end zone at the end of a 60-yard run for a touchback. Um, so there was some bad there. But Hyde has been good against his former teams. Both his 100-yard games this season came against them. He had 100-plus on the Chiefs in Week 6. Hmm. But yeah, 19 touches the last two weeks, at least 80 yards in three of his last four. So trending off, but also some narrative stuff in there. I think Hyde's set up for a good stretch run. That's the flow chart. Just play color side when he plays his former teams. Uh, Duke Johnson was the team's leader in receiving yards, 68. Kenny Stills had 452. DeAndre Hopkins, 848 and one. Anthony, thanks so much, man. Appreciate it. One, the Philadelphia Eagles at home. Win 22 to 14 over the Chicago Bears. That brings the Eagles to five and four and the Bears to three and five. John Daigle had this game for us. Uh, Daigle, let's start with the Eagles. Carson Wentz, 26 of 39, 239, and one touchdown. Uh, I think everyone in our football bubble was super excited that Deshaun Jackson was coming back. Deshaun Jackson, one target, one reception, five yards, and a left game left the game after the team's first drive with a single catch having said that whether it was game planning by the bears i i don't know what happened but the past few weeks zach Ertz has seen double teams and or opposing defense's best corner but that didn't happen this one and that's what led, allowed him to finally eclipse 100 yards for the first time all year zach Ertz was pretty much the only threat the eagles had and the bears had no chance in stopping him alshon jeffrey contributed three miserable drops uh miles sanders helped out a little bit as jordan howard continued plunging up the middle but really it was only zach Ertz uh and get dallas goddard sprinkled in once deshaun jackson left yeah, 11 targets, 9 receptions, 103 yards, and a touchdown for Zach Ertz. It was a Jordan Howard revenge game. Uh, 19 carries for Howard for 82 yards and a score. Miles Sanders contributed with 10 carries, 42 yards, and no touchdowns. That kind of seems like what we all expected here, Daigle. Like, if you don't have that explosive element in the offense, and that more or less is going to be Deshaun Jackson, if he is active for any game, then you pound the ball with Jordan Howard, and you throw the ball to Zach Ertz. I, I would say some people might be a little surprised that they're doing it the, to this Bears defense. Um, but this Bears defense has also given up big rushing games to the Raiders and the Saints in somewhat recent weeks as well. But if you're looking to pounce on this opportunity and now uh, grab some Eagles for your fantasy lineups moving forward, they hit their bye and they come back against the Patriots. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know really what you're going to do with that, except for continue starting Zach Ertz, because everything he did spelled uh, production. Do I need to stop? No, you're good. Oh, sorry. I heard the train. Um, everything he's and I feel like we go through that every single week, but I don't know what to do just yet. Nine weeks. Do you know what? Year. There's something called editing where I can mute my microphone while you are talking. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, Zach Ertz came into this game, though, number two in targets among tight ends, number two in air yards, number two in red zone targets. It was bound to hit. You just kept on playing him, and you're just going to keep on playing him. But other than that, even Wentz, you, you're probably not starting anyone when they return from their bye. All right, let's look at the Bears. Uh, we were watching this in the newsroom, um, 
and you know interns are sprinkled around us we just love to watch games on sunday afternoon after rotor world live and the newsroom became chicago bears supporters because we love underdog stories and wow Mitchell trubisky has become an underdog story and that's painting it in the most optimistic lens possible he was 10 of 21 for 125 yards and 53 of those yards went in one reception and 30 of those yards went in another so what that means he was eight for like 30 other yards with most of those completions behind the line of scrimmage as well all in all another awful day for Mitchell Trubisky against a passing defense that's one of the worst in the NFL he didn't complete a pass beyond the line of scrimmage in the entire first half. And after the game, Matt and Aggie came out and said, quote unquote, I never thought about benching him. But if that's the case, then Matt and Aggie needs to get canned right now because I didn't think he was coming out of the second half as the team starter. It was such a terrible, miserable performance that left you laughing on throws because he was just so pitiful and timid to go downfield. Um, And yes, he hit Taylor Gabriel deep on a 53-yard shot out of the half, but Taylor Gabriel was wide open. Uh, Also, he almost hit Allen Robinson on a deep 40-plus yard shot that Allen Robinson, I guess, dropped. I don't know if you count that as a drop because he had to miraculously jump up and get it in the first place because it was underthrown so severely. It's just, it's not going well, buddy, with old Mitchell Trubisky. And they get the Lions next week. So normally you would say, hey, like you're firing up Allen Robinson. And you are firing up Allen Robinson with confidence still, even though he had one catch. Just a, just awful. And the, what is likely the best matchup he's going to get all year against this pitiful Eagles secondary. He came in with one catch. He'll have another great opportunity against the Lions next week. But again, can Mitchell Trubisky get on the ball? I mean, Mitchell Trubisky single-handedly sank Anthony Miller, who was coming into this one with a confident, like uh, I think around an 18% target share the past two games. But he's now just tanking the entire offense around him, except for the guy I'm sure you're about to mention. David Montgomery. David Montgomery had 14 carries, 40 yards, and two touchdowns. I believe each of those touchdowns were one-yard run, just plunges. So that's kind of some luck in there, but obviously he's going to get the volume down there. Um, then he also had three receptions for 36 yards, again with 30 of those yards coming in one catch. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I don't get jazzed to start David Montgomery. I know like his line looks great this week after a great line last week. I don't know, though. Like... This is just one of those situations that if there's any case, I'm trying to avoid it, especially now with Allen Robinson basically putting up a goose egg this week, even though he is one of the most consistent receivers in a terrible spot. Sure, but Montgomery has also handled 48 of the backfield 62 touches the past two weeks. Like He's slowly becoming a... As close to a bell cow as you can get. The issue, of course, is what you're saying, is that he's on a bad offense and he's with Mitchell Trubisky. So what do you even rank that? His second touchdown inside the one only occurred because Tariq Cohen, who got a one-yard touchdown to start the game when the team reached inside the five-yard line, Tariq Cohen was knocked outside next to the pylon, a touchdown that was pretty much ruled back. And then Montgomery came in and vultured it for his second score. So yeah, there, there was luck involved, but just having, like I said, holding 48 of those 62 backfield touches the past two weeks, that means something moving forward for the rest of the season. There was this quarterback when I was writing blurbs for the college football section, um, I think from Wisconsin. I think it was Joel Stave. I, I could be confusing. They all are basically the same person. <laughs> Why do he, I know that name? Did he play in the AEF? Maybe he was also with the Minnesota Vikings for a little bit, I believe. Okay. Uh, he literally was a quarterback who had the yips. Like, he could not throw the football to open receivers. He just could not have his arm function in those moments to throw the ball. And Mitch Trubisky's throwing the ball, but he's going. He, he's declining. He's regressing. He's not progressing in any moment, and so are the Bears. They have lost four in a row and faced the Lions and the Rams in the next two contests. So that could be a fascinating storyline to follow. Uh, we go from one head coach in Matt Nagy, who's made some interesting decisions over the last couple weeks to now Freddie Kitchens and the Cleveland Browns losing to the Denver Broncos 
24 to 19 on the road. This was a shocker to me. This was a stunner to me. Did not see this one coming. Uh, and I did not see Brandon Allen playing decent football. 12 of 20, 193 yards, and two touchdowns in his debut for the Broncos. Brandon Allen reminds me of young Chad Pennington. That was spry, and his balls float. Uh, they're not bad either. I don't think he has an arm whatsoever, but he gives his receivers chances. He doesn't make mistakes. Or it's only one game, right? But he knew his. He obviously knew his limitations, and he he drops the ball in buckets. Like it's like, it's like floaters running down the lane. It's actually it's actually kind of pretty to watch. But nonetheless, he gave him an opportunity. It's just that the yardage won't look as impressive because they ran the Broncos 40 plays to Cleveland 71. And although we try to stay upbeat in general, let's say about both of these teams, the fact is the Browns may not even be good. The Browns are miserable to watch. Uh, they take your soul away because it's not fun to watch anyone on their team whatsoever yes. because the play, the play calling is just so bad. But – Brandon Allen, we had to we needed answered whether or not he could support Cortland Sutton in this second year breakout, and he could support Noah Fant, and who has uh, received the trickle down opportunity without Emmanuel Sanders now the past two weeks. And the fact is, he did support him on low play volume. He actually supported him. That's who he leaned to mode the most. Yeah, I mean Noah Fant had four targets, three receptions, 115 yards, and a score, and he really was an individual effort on his 75-yard touchdown where he broke multiple tackles and really showcased the athleticism that we all loved coming out of Iowa. He's one of the biggest freaks of the position. And I understand that he's like had some really bad moments during his rookie year. So do a lot of young tight ends. I always talk about it. It's the slowest developing position in the NFL. And these are the moments you can take away from a first-year tight end like Noah Fant, and hopefully he eliminates the drops and other mistakes and learns from them. Corton Sutton had a good game, too. Eight catches, five receptions, 56 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I guess we'll continue to see Brandon Allen because, once again, Joe Flacco, I believe, is on injured reserve. Is that correct? Yeah, and they have a bye now, and they come back against the Vikings. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, he's Joe Brandon uh, Allen's 20, okay. 20 that's fine. We can just keep moving on. We don't need to talk anymore about Brandon Allen. Let's uh, talk yeah. about this. Let's talk about this backfield because you know it had been kind of split 50-50 a lot for much of the season. Uh, Royce Freeman only had five carries for fifteen yards. Philip Lindsay nine carries, ninety-two yards, and a touchdown. Was this just a hot hand situation? All right, quickly, just want to say Noah Fant, pick him up if he's on your waiver wire. We're probably going to talk about him as a low end tight end one for the rest of the season. And in the waiver wire pod tomorrow. However, um, the Royce Freeman situation came into this game with a banged up shoulder, had spiked two consecutive games with touchdowns because he was pretty much due for touchdown regression since he was hand in hand getting touched for touch with Philip Lindsay. But yeah, Philip Lindsay then not only outcarried him, but just outperformed him. Philip Lindsay had a 40 yard run in the second quarter, he had a 30 yard touchdown run. Just Pretty much looking explosive. That same explosion that we saw last year from him. So we always, I, I think we always thought Philip Lindsay was ahead of Royce Freeman to begin with. But it seems like one now is separating from the other. Unless Freeman was just simply held back because this shoulder injury was uh, worse than we thought. All right, let's look at the Browns. Um, on, on a positive note, I think the Browns were worse than the NFL with negative 256 and penalty yard ratio for them compared to their opponents. They had fewer penalty yards than the Broncos today. So that's a positive. The negatives, there were a lot. Baker Mayfield, just 27 to 42, 273 and a touchdown. Nick Chubb held to just 65 yards. Odell Beckham was frustrated in the sidelines, 87 yards. Jarvis Landry, 51 yards and a touchdown on six catches. Both had to change their cleats at halftime because the NFL called yep. and said, nope, you can't play with these. Put this Browns offense into perspective here because it doesn't seem like it worked at all today. They're just they're just miserable to watch. I mean, you talk about having the yips. Baker Mayfield has the yips right now. He missed Odell Beckham wide open down the sideline, who was actually beating Chris Harris, but – Mayfield instead looked underneath on a fourth and four with three and a half minutes remaining to Jarvis Landry, who was draped like Jarvis Landry was covered, but Baker Mayfield 
now has that internal clock running and didn't think he had enough time, completely missed running down the left sideline free Odell Beckham. Goes to Jarvis Landry. Landry drops the ball, even though Landry did have a good game on a team had 13 targets. Uh, another play calling, just a baffling decision that Freddie Kitchens has now made consistent from week to week. Uh, took Nick Chubb off the field in the first half on third and three, and then fourth and one inside the 25. Uh, and went forward on fourth and one with a QB sneak that wasn't up the middle, but instead around the edge of the line. Baker Mayfield fell short, and that's what led to the Broncos uh, driving down the field for their next touchdown. It's just, it's just one bad decision after the other. It's not getting better. They're not learning from any mistakes. Um, Antonio Callaway is like, when Antonio Callaway is your second best receiver, when you have Beckham and Landry, I think that's all you need to know, really. Um, it's miserable. Nick Chubb, nothing creative. 20, 20 carries, 65 yards. He's still a top eight running back this next the next game for the Browns, but also it's against the Bills and Kareem Hunt comes back. So who knows in the short term, but you're still starting Nick Chubb moving forward. It's just, it's just true. I'm trying to keep the energy up, but it truly is just miserable watching this team. Whenever a team with just one win travels to a team with no wins, the perfect person to cover it is Jesse Pantusco. And guess what, Jesse? Well, you know, you covered the game. The Miami Dolphins have a win now, 26 to 18 over the lowly, bottom-feeding New York Jets. Um, I don't even know where to start with this game. I mean, Jesse, this wasn't even a close contest. Sure, it was an eight-point deciding stat line scoreboard at the end of this, but Miami roughed up. They beat up the Jets, especially on offense. Yeah, well, my biggest takeaway is still that Sam Darnold is really struggling. You know, he's had a really weird year where he missed – you know, about a month with mono, then came back against Dallas and looked really good. And then has been pretty much a disaster since that Monday night game against the Patriots when they had him mic'd up on ESPN and he said he was seeing ghosts. And it seems like he's still seeing ghosts a little bit. You know, he, he got off to actually a decent start in this game, completed six of seven for 68 yards and a touchdown. Uh, on the opening drive, and most of that, uh, most of those completions went to Jamison Crowder, who has, you know, been his security blanket pretty much all season. He, Crowder's averaged nine targets per game in the five games he's shared the field with Darnold. But after that, it uh, it it was all downhill from there. He had a really inexcusable interception late in the second quarter that kind of, you know, changed the momentum. The Jets, it came one play after a Ryan Griffin touchdown was overturned on review after they re revealed he didn't have full possession of it. And then Darnold was, you know, about to get sacked. And instead of throwing it away or eating the sack, he just threw it into double coverage, uh, tried to force it to Jamison Crowder and was intercepted. And I think the most uh, glaring gaffe came later in the game when the Jets were backed up against their own one-yard line, and Darnold had a miscommunication with his center, Brian Winders, and he wasn't ready for the snap, and it went into the back of the end zone for a safety. And it seemed like Winters was really upset with Darnold on the play. So I, I'm not sure what's going on there, if he's lost his confidence. You know, he just – this was – you know, losing the Patriots, who are one of the, you know – best defenses in the league that's one thing but going into Miami against a Dolphins team that really isn't even trying to win and having that kind of performance is uh really troubling yeah and Darnold did finish 27 of 39 260 a touchdown interception that actually might be kind because yeah that goal line interception was awful I also don't think Adam Gase did any game planning any coaching after that initial series I mean that was surely scripted and Jamison Crowder looked like he was about to have a big day. Nine targets, eight receptions, 83 yards, and a touchdown. And a majority of that was on that first drive. Then absolutely nothing happened at all. Robbie Anderson, just two catches, 33 yards. Um, Le'Veon Bell did have 17 carries for 66 yards and another 55 in the air. But the Jets just, man, they look lifeless completely. What about the Dolphins here? Ryan Fitzpatrick, 24-36, 288, and three touchdowns. Two of those touchdowns going to undrafted rookie, Preston Smith, another one going to Devontae Parker. Mike Gesicki, I believe, had a career day. Six receptions, 95 yards. I know it's against the Jets, who that defense has played well in spots this year, 
but that's a promising performance for this offense that was truly trying on the field. Yeah, there were definitely a few positive takeaways, which I haven't had in previous Dolphins games. Obviously, you know, it's a, a much uh, cleaner, more competent offense under Fitzpatrick, who's been around the block a few times, and he had a good day, and rightfully so, against uh, a Jets defense that is really struggling right now. Preston Williams absolutely dominated his matchup with Daryl Roberts, who's sort of working as the number one cover corner in the absence of, you know, their highly paid free agent, uh, Trumaine Johnson, who's been out with an ankle injury and has sort of been in and out of the lineup all year with various bumps and bruises. Um, so Williams had a great day. I scored a, a couple of touchdowns and has really been one of the better, you know, first year receivers. The one thing about him today, though, is he, he dealt with a couple of injuries he uh, near uh, near the left sideline early in the second half. He kind of lunged for a ball and missed it. It was down for a bit. Looked like he hurt his wrist. Missed a handful of snaps, but then was back in. But then he got hurt worse in the fourth quarter. Ended up on the ground for quite a while with a left knee injury and was eventually carted to the locker room. So one would think if. He misses any amount of time. Uh, guys like maybe Gasicki or Devontae Parker at a touchdown in this game would, would stand to benefit. And for all those people who wanted to play Mark Walton, just 12 carries for 29 yards, uh, three receptions for 12 yards, even in a game, like I said, with very positive game script, uh, 15 touches, but didn't manage a lot, just 41 yards with them. All right, the other game you had, Jesse, was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to Seattle, making it close, close game here. But Seattle wins in the end of 40 to 34, a total of 74 in this game. Wow. Uh, and it all goes back to Russell Wilson. I mean, Jesse, he was making some magic happen. Uh, 378 yards and five touchdowns for Russ today. Yeah, I mean, he's been he's been doing this all year. And really, he's been doing this, you know, since he arrived in the league as a, a third round pick in 2012. Uh, this might be the year he finally wins MVP. But yeah, he everything was happening today. Had, had a great rapport with Tyler Lockett, who basically was able to do whatever he wanted against this Tampa Bay secondary. Um, and the same for, for DK Metcalf, who had probably the best game of his career to this point and made some really clutch plays late, including a 53-yard uh, touch, deep touchdown in the fourth quarter. And he also set up the, the go-ahead, I guess the eventual game-winning touchdown in overtime made a nice 29-yard grab near the sidelines against uh, Jamel D Dean, the rookie out of Auburn, who was just getting annihilated all day. He ended up allowing three touchdowns. Um, so Met Metcalf set that up uh, with first and goal at the six-yard line, and uh, Jacob Hollister ended up scoring uh, two plays later to you know clinch it for Seattle. Yeah, DK's been fun to watch this year because you start off the season with him just running basically three routes on the left side, and now you're seeing him win across the formation, just on uh, drag routes, on deep crossers, on slants, on things along the right. It's It's been fun to watch him develop, and we're only in week nine. And like you mentioned, he had 123 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Lockett had 152 yards, two touchdowns, and 13 receptions. Uh, one note quickly, I believe Chris Carson had another one or two fumbles. They still stuck with him, though. 16 carries, 105 yards. Meanwhile, Rashad Penny just had four carries for 12 yards. Carson had another 28 yards on the ground, and Penny no yards uh, in receiving. Okay, Tampa Bay side here, Jesse. Um, Jameis Winston. Seems like a pretty positive game from Jameis from a throwing standpoint. 29 of 44, 335, two touchdowns. No interceptions, but I know he had a crucial fumble at the end of this game. Yeah, he did. And, you know, it was a relatively clean game up until then. And, yeah, that fumbled, you know, definitely hurt in the fourth quarter. Uh, Rasheem Grant returned it and probably would have had a touchdown if he wasn't chased down by Mike Evans, who ended up, you know, with a really clutch tackle because I believe they had to settle for a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown um, in the ensuing drive. And I, it all goes back to Mike Evans, who is incredible again in this game last week. Uh, in Tennessee, he set a he matched a career high with 11 catches, and this week he actually bettered it with 12 catches, and was just you know running circles around Shaquille Griffin, who you know coming into this game you know second year corner for Seattle, I actually thought it was sort of one of the the more underrated cornerbacks in the league, but uh, a definite setback this week. But you know it's a tough matchup going against Mike Evans, 
And, you know, this is why Jameis was a quarterback that a lot of people, myself included, you know, targeted pretty heavily in fantasy drafts this summer because it doesn't matter if Jameis is that good. He can still put up huge numbers because of these stud receivers he has. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you know, both of these guys are going to get a thousand yards receiving in their sleep. I believe Evans now has he's the first Buccaneer in franchise history to go for 150 plus yards in two straight games. So he he's, you know, like a couple weeks ago, Stefan Diggs was the hottest receiver in the league. And now I think he is past the baton to Evans, who is just, you know, balling out of control right now. Evans did have 12 receptions, 180 yards and a touchdown. Chris Godwin, seven receptions, 61 yards. Uh, this game kind of came down to Jason Myers' leg, right? And he missed a handful of kicks. So that'll be one to watch as Seattle hopes to drive to the playoffs at 7-2. and two. That does it for this week's episode. Again, if you enjoyed it, please consider leaving us a rating and review. Just hit that little box on your podcast app. Leave five stars, a little message. Helps us out completely. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with another episode, Thursday with another episode, and Friday with another episode as well. Talk to y'all then. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Cheers to a great day and this ice-cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. We can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona extra beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.